Hey, before I start the countercultural message, the last message of our series, let me just take a time, a, m- a moment to talk to you about the upcoming series, Illusions, that begins the weekend after Easter. We live in a world today where we don't know what to believe. And it's interesting to me how that some of the media sites are having to think about reigning in messages to know whether they're true or not. And we hear about fake news. How do you know how to live your life? And sometimes in this world system that you and I live in that we're going to be talking about today, we don't know whether we're being given a magic show where what we're told is sleight of hand or whether it's true or not. And so Illusions is just going to be a great series. Can't wait to begin it. That's the weekend after Easter. <clears throat> now let me talk about the week before Easter. You know, of course, Easter's coming. You saw the announcement. We have uh, six services, uh, six time slots, two on Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday uh, on an Easter weekend. But we wanted to do something this year that's the first time we've ever done this. In the last week of Jesus' life, there were things that happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And so to get our hearts prepared for Easter, there's going to be an online experience every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We're going to be talking about something that happened in Jesus' life in the last week, and there's an action point for each one of us. And so you're going to be able to check in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday's going to be a very special time. As you know, Jesus was crucified on Friday. On Thursday night would have been when he had the Passover, and the Lord's Supper for the first time with his disciples. We're going to be having a live online communion at 7 o'clock on Thursday night. And I'll be leading that, and you can check in, and you can have communion in your home or wherever you are with your family. And even if you want to bring guests in, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time. I want you to check out what's going on, and then if you want to get more information about it, I want you to watch this video, and you can see how you can be part of this special Passion Week celebration. Here's how you and your family can participate in the Passion Week devotional experience and live online communion celebration we have planned during the week leading up to Easter. First, plan to visit newspring.org slash passionweek on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, March 26th through 28th for a daily video devotion and challenge from Pastor Mark. Second, get ready to take communion in your home by purchasing or preparing grape juice and bread. Pastor Mark will be using unleavened bread, which you can buy at any grocery store or find a simple recipe for online. You can also pick up pre-packaged communion sets at our North and South Info Centers on the weekend of March 24th and 25th. As you're preparing for the celebration, feel free to include your kids and invite guests to join you. This celebration will be for all ages. Lastly, gather together in your home to celebrate communion with us live online on our website or on Facebook on Thursday, March 29th at 7 p.m. We're so excited about this devotional experience and hope you and your family join us each day as we reflect on Passion Week and prepare our hearts to celebrate Easter. For all this information and more, pick up a flyer at one of our info centers or visit newspring.org slash passionweek. Well, that's going to be great. Well, let's jump into today's talk. Suppose you could time travel back to April 10th, 1912. And you're in Southampton, England, and there are lines queuing up for people about to get on a ship. And you look at that ship. It is the most beautiful ship ever built in the history of mankind. It is a gleaming ship, magnificent ship. It's got the latest in technology. In fact, it is said about this ship that it is unsinkable. They won't have enough lifeboats for half the people on the ship because it is unsinkable. Latest science, latest technology. And did I mention luxury? 
While on this ship, there are theaters, there are libraries, there are the most elegant restaurants, there are the most luxurious staterooms ever in the history of ship transportation, mariner, mar, mariner transportation. So here's the thing. Uh, I want to ask you a question because you've been transported back in time from 2018 to Southampton, England, April the 10th, 1912. I have a question for you. For you. Would you buy a ticket for the Titanic? I mean, would you, buy a would you buy a ticket? I mean, everybody else has. I mean, it, it's the trendiest thing to do. I mean, if you sell on this ship, you're going to be, everybody's going to look at you as you are the chicest, most trendy person in the world. If you could time travel back, just imagine what you could do on social media with all the selfies that you took on this magnificent ship. So would you buy a ticket for the Titanic? I know the answer to that question is a resounding no. No, I would not buy a ticket on the Titanic. Why? Because you know in four days, it's going down. I mean, it's said to be unsinkable, but as Vance Havner said, all it ever did was sink the first time out. So you wouldn't buy a ticket because of one thing, and that is you have the benefit of knowing the future. And because you know the future, it would not make any sense to you to buy a ticket. It's odd because it makes very good sense to the people queuing up. I mean, they think it's the smartest thing to do in the world. It's the greatest thing, the most exciting thing to do in the world, to be on that ship, and yet to you, you wouldn't do that in a million years because you know what's going to happen. Let's take this a step further. Suppose you try to talk to the Titanic passengers three days out at sea. They've had three days on this, on this magnificent ship. They have enjoyed the science. They have enjoyed the technology. They've enjoyed the luxury. And you say to them, this is not going to end well. Now, imagine what they would say back to you. They would say things like, you know, you are crazy. Didn't you read the newspapers? Didn't you see that this ship cannot sink? And, you're, and, and they would say, you're spoiling my trip. You are a reactionary. You are an alarmist. You need to leave me alone because I'm having a good time and don't spoil my time. The last week of the Jesus series or the Jesus Life series is very similar to this, except it's much more serious and much more important. There are four themes in the book of 1 John. We've said 1 John is like the cliff note version of the Jesus life. There are four themes, and today we come to the fourth. We've already seen the first theme in the first week in a talk called It's Not a Religion, and that is the theme of faith, of believing. Because if you want a relationship with God, if you want to live the Jesus life, it starts with you believing that Jesus Christ loved you, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, and you invite him into your heart. It's not... It's not something that you work in, it's something that you believe in and it changes your life. That's theme one. Theme two is love. That's why we spent half the series on love because the Jesus life is loving God and loving people. And we learned what that was about in those three talks. Last week, we looked at the third theme of 1 John and that is sin because the enemy of love is always sin. We learned about that. But today, we come to the fourth and the final theme that God wants us to learn about if we are going to live the Jesus life, and that theme is the world. Now, at first blush, we might not really know what that means. Let, let, me, let me give you a couple of thoughts that will help us frame this. When John talks about the world, which he talks about a great deal in 1 John, he's not talking about the planet, and he's not talking about the inhabited earth or the people on the earth. John is teaching what Jesus taught, and we're going to see a lot of these verses today, and we'll have many scriptures. Many of these verses were actually taught by Jesus. John is passing on about AD 90, what Jesus taught them 60 years before. And so uh, John is going to talk to us about the Jesus life, how that it is counterculture. In fact, that's the title of today's talk. It's counterculture. 
If you really want to live the Jesus life, not to live the caricature version of it, but if you really want to live the Jesus life, it's counterculture all the way. It's, it's not mainstream. And here is the tension that is in the Jesus life. And we'll start with the last chapter of 1 John. This is chapter 5 in the 19th verse. The Bible says, we know that we are children of God. Okay, we do know that. We've been seeing that. We've learned that by believing we become God's children. Look at this. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Now, that's a stark statement. You know, I would expect something a little bit more gradual. We know we're God's children. It's not easy to live the Christian life in the world around us. But that's not what God says. God goes a way, long way further than that. He says we know that we are the children of God and the system around us is controlled under the control of the evil one. Now today, I've got to be honest with you, I put this talk off to the last talk because it's not fun to talk about what we got to talk about today. But here's what is important. If you will follow this trail for the next 27 minutes that we talk about this, you're going to understand what most people don't understand about God. And there are going to be things that are clearer for you at the end of this talk than they've ever been before as we like unpack what John has to say about this world system. Now, work with me for a little while. In fact, this whole sermon is work. This is not really a sermon. We're just working together. We're going to time travel. This time, instead of going back to 1912, we're going back to before the world began. Here is the thing that you must understand that happened before the world began, before there were humans. There was There was God. And someone will say, well, who made God? That is because you and I are made in the image of God and we're accustomed to things having beginnings. So consequently, you know, we are accustomed to when things began. We always ask that question. But we must understand that the world that you and I live in is the aberration. Eternality is the norm. So for God to be eternal, that was the norm. There, there were no beginnings until God made beginnings. So consequently, what happens is when skeptics turn around and ask God, when, you're, when your beginning is, it would be like someone building an airplane and the airplane asking, where are your wings? And so that's what we must understand. Now, before, at, at the very beginning of time, before God created humans, he made angels. Guys, could I just give a pet peeve for a moment here? One of the things that just gets so under my skin, and I never say anything about it because I know it's said with, with a sweetheart, but when our loved ones die, they do not become angels. No, 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 no. Why would you want to demote your beloved loved one who is a child of God in the presence of God, now a prince and a princess of God? Why would you want to demote them to an angel? Angels were meant to be servants. They are God's messengers. Angelos is the word. It means messenger. So anyway, God created angels to do his work. And the angels all don't look the same. They, they have all different kinds of appearances. We kind of see them all in one particular drawing, but that's not what angels really look like. God just made angels to do his work. Now, the most beautiful of the angels was an angel by the name of Lucifer. And the word Lucifer means shining one or bright one. And I won't get into this because I'll, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time. But it, it is interesting when we read about the description of Lucifer, he seems like he was majestic and beautiful colors and lights and even uh, tablets that were on his body. And there's the sense that when he walked or when he moved that there was music. He was the leader of worship in heaven. Now, here's the thing. Every, everything that God creates has a will. God, God doesn't create robots. So when he created the angels, he gave them the opportunity to choose. 
There was a point where Lucifer decided that God should not get all the credit or all the worship in heaven. He was the leader of worship. He looked in the mirror and he thought, I'm beautiful. Why don't people, why don't the angels worship me? So he started an insurrection in heaven. And according to the book of Revelation chapter 12, one third of the angels sided with him and rebelled against God. Didn't bother God a whole lot. He just thumped them out of heaven. Now they're, now they're kicked out. They're expelled from heaven. In the meantime, God decides that he is going to make a world. And he wants to create not only a world, but he wants to create people, humans, that would be made in the image of him. Now, this is where it gets really interesting to me and helpful for us to understand why you and I are living in a, in a system today that is so backward. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, look at this. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will, what's the next word? Reign. Wow, rain over created things in the world. This is verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern, rain. So when God put Adam and Eve into, our, into the world and they were to be the first parents of the human race, and by the way, this is, oh, how am I getting off on all these tangents today? You do know that science has learned in the last 50 years that we all go back to an MRCA, most recent common ancestor. And even science says we all go back to the same male and all back to the same female. They get the dating all wrong, but then they get a lot of stuff wrong. Anyway, God created the first human beings, put them in the garden. God said, reign. I want you to rule. You now have responsibility over the, over the earth. God gave them the earth as dominion so that, they could, so that we could be in his image and do the kinds of things that he does. Now, Satan, Lucifer, comes along, kicked out of heaven. Satan look, looks at the world and says, I want that. I, I want to rule what God has created. And I won't take a long time with this, but you know the story how that Satan tempted Adam and Eve. And what happened, this is huge. In fact, if you ever want to understand life, you need to understand this one point. Our first parents surrendered kingdom authority over to the enemy. From that moment on, the world legally belongs to Satan. Now, someone will say, well, Mark, I don't understand. I thought that God ruled everything. How can the world be in the control of Satan if God owns everything? Well, maybe this will help. Suppose for just a moment, you've been, a lot of you have been to Florida and you've seen those big, tall condo buildings, you know, 15, 18, 20, 25, 30 floors uh, full of condos. I've been there, probably many of you have been there. Suppose you own a whole condo building. You own it all. It belongs to you lock, stock, and barrel. You have tenants, but the building belongs to you. Now suppose you decide you're going to give the 15th floor to one of your children, or to your best friend, somebody that you love. You, you, you want them to feel what you feel. So you've decided you're going to give them the entire 15th floor. Whatever goes on in the 15th floor it's up to them. They are the one who writes the codes. They are the one who writes the restrictions. They are the one, ones who determine who can stay there, who can't stay there. Uh, basically, they control the 15th floor. Now, let's suppose that somehow the person that you trusted with the 15th floor loses control legally to your worst enemy. And now all of a sudden, your worst enemy controls the 15th floor of the entire building that you own. Even though you own the building, now your worst enemy decides what can happen there uh, the influences that go on there, the codes, the restrictions. I mean, your worst enemy controls the 15th floor. You control everything else, but not the 15th floor. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't going to be long before a lot of stuff's going to be going down on the 15th floor that you don't approve of. 
And there are probably other people, even on the 15th floor, who are going to say, wait a minute, I don't understand. If you own the entire building, why is this going, floor, going, going on on the 15th floor? And you would say, well, 15th floor is legally under the control of this person. In fact, it wouldn't be long before things would be so bad on the 15th floor that there would be people that say, if there is an owner, why is this going on? Where is the owner? You starting to get the picture? This is what the Bible is telling us about the world that we live in. From that moment on, the owner has to find a way to get the 15th floor back legally, to buy it back, to restore the people, and to bring it back to the condition that it was at the very beginning. Spoiler alert, this is what Easter is about. <laughs> you understand that when Jesus, who was God in skin, came into our world, it was all about getting the 15th floor back and buying it. This is, we're going to be having communion online on Thursday night of, of Holy Week. I want you to see what Jesus said on that, on that first Thursday night to his disciples. This is John chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus said, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And Jesus said, and I, when I'm lifted up, I will draw everybody to me. And he said that because of how he was going to die. So here is the good news. I want you to know that the 15th floor has already been bought back. Jesus bought it on the cross. The deal was finalized when he walked out of the grave. That's why we celebrate Easter. It is a done deal. Now, somebody will say, well, Mark, if it's a done deal and it's bought back, why are we living in a world that still bears all the marks of Satan being in control? Hang on, look at this. This is in Revelation chapter 12, and it talks about the times that you and I are living in and probably the tribulation period which is to come. The Bible says this, Revelation 12, 12. We just sang the Revelation song a few minutes ago. By the way, you know the song you sang here is the song that they're singing in heaven right now? You got to sing with the people there. Okay, Revelation 12, 12. Therefore... Rejoice, you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Hey, if you're a God follower, you see it happening. I mean, it's getting more wicked, it's getting more perverse, it's getting more hate-filled, it's getting more rage-filled, it's getting more anti-God and anti-Jesus every day. Why? Because Satan knows he is running out of time. He may be wicked, but he's not stupid. And now here's the thing. Somebody will say, well, Mark, I've heard that there's going to be like a seven-year tribulation period, and I've heard the Antichrist is going to come, and there's going to be a one-world system, and you know, what's going to go on there? Is Satan going to win? No, 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 no. He's just going to throw one more party before he gets evicted. And that's where we're headed right now. You and I are not going to be there. That's why, that's why it's so important that Jesus is coming back. And in that, and I'm not teaching on Revelation today, but in that tribulation period, in the darkest part of the tribulation period, there is a verse that is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It is Revelation chapter 11. In the worst part of the tribulation, the Bible says the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices and shouting in heaven. And in effect, heaven is saying, breaking news. You're tired of, getting, you're tired of breaking news? I am. My wife gave me an Apple watch. It's like hey, every time I look at it, something's happening. But this is going to be great. There is breaking news from heaven in the worst part of the tribulation, and here's the message. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The angel is saying, just, I want everybody to know, it's really bad down on the earth, but I just want you to understand, the kingdoms of this world have just now become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. 
When George Frederick Handel wrote the Messiah, he used that very verse to write the Hallelujah Chorus. The next time you hear that, listen for that verse in it. Now, with that drinking from fire hose beginning, what do we know about the world system that you and I are living in right now? This is going to be huge. If you want to be a Jesus follower, you really, really need to have this and, and not only just know it, but you need to own it personally. Here is the first thing. We've seen it already, but let's nail it down. Satan is the ruler of the world system. Somebody say, well, Mark, I don't believe in a real Satan. Well, he must love that. That's what he wants more than anything else. So you say, I just don't believe in a real devil. Then you're going to have a real hard time understanding the world. But according to scripture, Satan is the ruler of the world system. John 12, 31, Jesus called him Satan, the ruler of this world. That's Jesus. Ephesians 2, verse 2, the devil, he rules the world, and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. 1 John 5, 19, we saw this a moment ago. The world around us is under the control of the evil one. You remember a few weeks ago when I shared with you that we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son? Now we get the picture. The world system is controlled by Satan. Now, here's this. With Satan in control, there is a system we just read that until people receive new life in Jesus, they are under the dominion of the ruler of this world. So consequently, Satan and the people he dominates create a system. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said there is a broad road that leads to destruction and there is a narrow road that leads to everlasting life. The broad road is just the system that is created by Satan and the people that he dominates at this moment, which, by the way, all of us were on that road at one time. Now guys, on a practical standpoint, you see this system all the time. You and I see it. You would have to be blind not to see it. Because we live in a world today where in this broad road, you can believe anything you want to believe. As long as you don't believe in Jesus. Here's the weird thing. You can believe, people on the broad road can believe mutually exclusive things. I mean, here's the thing, and we must get this. Satan doesn't care. He doesn't care what you're doing on the broad road as long as you don't live the Jesus life. He doesn't care if you're a radical, he doesn't care if you're a radical extremist. He doesn't care if you're a terrorist. He doesn't care if you're a self-righteous bigot. He doesn't care if you're a racist. He doesn't care, you know, if you're anarchic. He doesn't care anything about anything. You can be a religious right conservative, or you can be an ultra-left anarchist, and he could care less as long as you're on the broad road, as long as you don't live the Jesus life. And you and I know that the system at large comes up with its own answers for the primary questions of life. Where did we come from? Now, let's be honest. Let's just, I think church is a great place for straight talk. Let's be honest. The primary universal demanded concept in our culture today is that the answer to that question is we're the product of an accident. If you believe in creator God, you're seen as weird and strange. The ultimate, quintessential, primary, fundamental, only accepted answer in our broad culture today is that the reason that we got here is that we're product of an accident. Oh, my heart goes out to those who say that because clearly they have no other option because if we are the product of superior intelligence, that's a slippery slope and that one statement leads to other statements that they don't want to go to. 
So the question is asked, where are we going? Well, the answer is we don't know. It's a better place. You know, and I hear that all the time. Even from people that don't believe in God, someone dies. They love. well, I just believe they're in a better place. Well, where's a better place? I mean, Colorado, is it better than Kansas? You know, Texas? Where are they going? No, no, no. It's just the problem of this world system trying to come up with answers outside of God's word. What's right and what's wrong? Well, religion is okay if you like that. If you don't like that, then you decide. And now, of course, we have political correctness. Satan is fine with anything you believe as long as you don't follow Jesus. He's cool with anything. He doesn't care whether you're ultra-right or ultra-left. He doesn't care what you are as long as you don't follow Jesus. And here's the thing. In this crazy, screwed-up, mixed-up, upside-down world, it seems to make very good sense that anything you want to believe is okay. But the problem is that's the Titanic. And it's going down. It's going down. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, the Bible speaks about the people in our times. And it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Hey, that was written in Greek. The Greek word for wise is the word sophos, S-O-P-H-O-S. Professing themselves to be sophos, sophisticated. Professing themselves to be sophos, they became, ready for this, moros. Want to guess which word we get from that? That is our times. Professing themselves to be sophisticated, they became morons. In fact, one verse is ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. All that time that you and I live in this world system that's under the domination of Satan, Jesus is outside calling. He's outside the 15th floor calling to people inside. The Bible says this in Revelation 3.20. This is Jesus speaking. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You know, for any of us who are tired of this crazy world system and its ridiculousness, it is good to know that Jesus is out there saying, hey, join me. I've already bought the 15th floor and, and there is coming a regime change. Join me. Here's the second thing that we learn. Until Jesus comes for us, Jesus' followers will live in a world where we are always political outsiders, spiritual outsiders, moral outsiders, you name it, we're always going to be outsiders. Let me just share some scriptures with you. This is John chapter 1. We're talking about Jesus. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. John 15, verse 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're always going to be an outsider. And let me just be honest with you, for both you and me too, I, I, I don't like rejection. I love affirmation. I love to fit in. But you cannot in this world, you cannot Live the Jesus life if you can't handle rejection. You can't live the Jesus life if you always have to fit in. Because who wants to fit in on the Titanic? Listen, this is 1 John chapter 4, verse 5. The Bible says, those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint. Hey, whenever I listen to media of any kind, I know people are going to speak from the world's viewpoint. And the world listens to them. That's an interesting combination there. They speak from the world's viewpoint, the world listens to them. 
John's going to speak of himself now as an apostle. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, then they do not listen to us. This is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So John is saying, the voices in the world speak from the world's point of view. The people in the world listen to them. It resonates. John is saying, we're going to have to be prepared for that. Now, here's the thing. Following Jesus is counterculture, and it's hard. And there's a challenge for you and me, even though we already belong to Jesus. Because as I shared a moment ago, we want to be liked, we want to fit in, we don't want to be rejected. We could get lured back into the world. This is the third thought that I'm going to leave you with very quickly. The challenge is not to be squeezed into the world's mold. Interesting. When the Bible talks about a Christian being under attack of Satan, it talks about Satan shooting darts at us. But when it talks about the world, it speaks of this in terms of a mold. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasant or pleasing and perfect. Now, in 1 John, and we're just looking at some scripture real quickly here, John shares with us three ways that the world wants to trap us and make us fit into its mold. This is 1 John 2.15. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only, here's three things. Number one, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievement and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world, and the world is fading away along with everything in it that people crave. Now, if you want to know, guys, just time out for a moment. I grew up in a very conservative church. Good church, a lot of good intentions. But they got this thing on the world wrong. And the idea that they had was, well, there are styles that the world gets into, and there are things that Christians should do. So consequently, Christians should never dance. You know, Christians should not listen to a particular kind of music, and they should cut their hair a particular way and look really strange. And that, because the idea is that's worldly stuff, and we're not going to be worldly. Some of you have been in a tradition like that. Let me just be honest with you. (laughs) The, (laughs) The problems that we get from the world have nothing to do with how you cut your hair, how you dress, what clothes you like, what particular kind of music you listen to, as long as it's not profane or something. Has nothing to do with whether you have tattoos or don't have tattoos. That, that's not what the world, that's not the world. Hey, you want to know what the world is? Three things. I want what makes me feel good. I want what I see. And look at me. That's worldliness. And you know, the weird thing about it is there are people who can be in religion that's very traditional and anti-worldly, and they can still want what makes them feel good. They can want what they see, and they can also be filled with pride. Listen, guys, worldliness is not how you look on the inside. It's the attitudes we hold on the outside. It's the attitudes we hold on the inside. And John is saying, look, the world is always wanting to cram you into its mold. But who wants to be, who wants to fit into a mold? I mean, God has made you to be the only you in the world. He made you to be his daughter with all the beauty and color and joy and excitement of of, of being an original Someone said everyone is born an original, you know, and everybody dies a copy. Well, we don't have to. The world is trying to make us fit into its mold. Well, here's the fourth thing, and I won't spend much time here. You saw it in the verse we just read. The world system is fading away. You know, isn't it a shame 
for people to like get all caught up in, in the world when the world is gonna pass. I mean, here's the deal. You know this from a practical standpoint. What, what did we learn that one of the things that the world, one of the primary uh, emphases of the world is, I, I want what I see. Well, we've all been in that trap, haven't we? I want what I see. But isn't it true that after a while, it's just, you know, it's just the house or it's just the car? And Lord knows if you have it long enough, it'll be fading away. The Bible says the, the world system is fading away. Now, here's the thing, and this is, I want to just say this, and I don't want to be offensive to anybody. I'm just trying to teach what Jesus taught here. If you buy into the system, and there are a lot of Christians who try to do it, there are a lot, of, a lot of Christians that want to say the things that make everybody like them, even though they know they're saying things that aren't true. Here's the deal. If you buy into the world system, you'll be an insider today, but you'll be an outsider forever. If you live the Jesus life, you'll be an outsider today, but you'll be an insider forever. Listen, guys. If thousands of years of world history have taught us anything, it's taught us that regime change means a lot of difference to people who are on the inside, and it makes a lot of difference to people on the outside. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a gentle, gradual transition when Jesus comes. We're talking about regime change. Number five, for all of us who are struggling to live the Jesus life in a system that's dominated by the evil one, it is good to know, and I close here, that Jesus prayed for you. Now, remember, it was on that Thursday night that he said to his disciples, the time has come for me to buy this thing back, and I'm going to do it. But he also knew that he was about to leave. And so in John 17, and every time I read this chapter, I always feel like I should like take off my boots because I'm on holy ground. Because it is God talking to God. It is Jesus, the God-man, talking to his Father. I, I feel sure this was something that happened in Gethsemane. I don't even know how we have the record of it because I don't think any of the other disciples heard this. This is just Jesus talking to his Father. Ready? This and I'm finished. Jesus said, my prayer is not for the world but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. Now I'm departing from the world, they are staying. And Lord knows that's true, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus left, we're here. Now I'm departing from the world, and they're staying in this world, but I'm coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they'll be united as we are. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Now, a few moments ago, I talked to you about how weird some so-called Christianity can be, even well-intentioned. The idea was the world is over there, and we're Christians, and so we got to look really weird, look really different to set off the fact that we're not part of the world. And so what we really need to do is just cloister ourselves together and get away from all those people in the world and wait for Jesus to come and take us out of here. <laughs> do you realize what Jesus prayed the last night he was here? He said, Father, I'm leaving. They're staying. I don't want to take them out. Do you hear that? Jesus like, I, I, I'm not praying you'll take them out. I don't want you to take them out. I want you to leave them in. I want you to leave them on the 15th floor. Because there are other people on the 15th floor who need to know that the Titanic is going down. 
So here's what I'm going to do, Father. I'm going to leave them there. And I want them to live the Jesus life. And I want them to live a life of love. And I want them to live a life that follows Jesus so that other people on the 15th floor might look at them and say, wow, I like what that guy's got. I like what that gal has got. And I want some of that. So that maybe they will say to you and to me, how do I get off the 15th floor? Jesus said, Father, I'm leaving. They're staying. I'm not asking you to take them out. I want you to leave them in. But I'm praying that you'll protect them from the evil one. Well, somebody could say, well, that's great, Mark. Jesus prayed for Peter, James, and John, and Mary, and all those others back then. Hey, look at this. This is so cool. This is the last verse, and I'll be finished with this. John 17, 20. I'm, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. The night Jesus prayed, he was praying for you. He was praying for me. He said, Father, I'm leaving. She's staying. And I don't want to take her out because I want her to do great work on the 15th floor. I've already bought it back. Satan knows his time is short. He's got one big party coming up. But we want to get people off the 15th floor. We want to get them, we want to get them in connection with me. So God, I'm going to leave her there. But I'm praying that you protect her from the evil one. And I'm not just praying for these, but I'm praying for those people at New Spring Church in 2018 who are going to hear my message and they're going to live the Jesus life. And I'm praying that you protect them until the day comes when Jesus comes for us and we're off the 15th floor and we're ever with him. Thank you very much. God bless. See you next week.